0: All right, here we are. We're on the, the doctrine of the order of salvation. Um, and uh, we talked about election for a couple of weeks. We talked about the gospel call and the gospel message. And last week we talked about regeneration, where uh, God, in a, in a secret, unseen way, makes us spiritually alive and able to respond to this gospel call. He awakens this spiritual life within us. Now, the the response from us, then, is going to be uh, conversion, and that's a summary word that refers to faith and repentance, or repentance and faith. They go together, and we'll be talking about that doctrine today. Then next week, uh, flowing, or two weeks from now, flowing out of our faith, justification, that is, forgiveness of sins and God declaring us righteous in his sight. And then adoption, we become members of God's family. And then sanctification, we begin to grow in actual holiness and likeness to Christ, perseverance, death, glorification. But these two, three, four, five, six from the gospel call to adoption, these are what we call in shorthand becoming a Christian. Now, I didn't even quite get the whole story on there because there's a beginning of sanctification that goes in becoming a Christian, too. But I just kind of ran out of space on the slide. So we'll get to that in more detail. So we're unpacking week by week in more detail what it means to become a Christian. The uh, amazing richness and uh, complexity of, what, um, of uh, what happens when we become Christians. So definition of conversion. Conversion is a willing response It's a willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. So we've got repentance and faith there, placing our trust in Christ for salvation. Now we want to unpack that and look at the two halves of it. First, um, I want to look at faith. I could look at them in either order, but uh, true saving faith we'll talk about first. True saving faith includes... Knowledge, approval, and personal trust. Knowledge, approval, and personal trust. Knowledge of the facts of the gospel alone is not enough to save us. Um, There is some intellectual belief that you believe that something instead of believing in someone. (coughs) Uh, James says you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, that isn't saving faith, that's just kind of an intellectual acknowledgement of some doctrines about God. That knowledge isn't enough. Knowledge and approval or agreement are not enough because there are instances where it seems like people understood something of who Jesus was or something of the gospel message and they, there's an indication that they agreed with it, but they weren't yet saved. So, uh, John 3.2, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But Nicodemus, though he, he had some kind of knowledge and agreement that Jesus had come from God and was from God, that wasn't saving faith. And uh, this is interesting where Paul is speaking to King Agrippa in Acts 26. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe and Agrippa said to Paul, in short time you would persuade me to be a Christian? That is, um, Agrippa apparently had read the Old Testament prophets and agreed that they were words of God, that they were true. But, but that didn't yet mean that he was a Christian. Paul was attempting to get him to come to the point of personal faith. Personal faith is more than just understanding and agreeing with the truths of the gospel. True saving faith comes when I decide to depend on jesus to save me personally and i've put it that way because when i speak about i i am speaking about me as a person when i'm speaking about jesus i'm speaking about him as a person and there's a personal interaction here or a decision of personal trust or commitment saving faith then to trust in jesus christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. So this would include not only understanding of the facts of the gospel, not only approval of or agreement of those facts, or agreement with those facts, um, and a, a desire to be saved, but also a personal decision to put my trust in Christ as my Savior. Now let me explain from a number of verses how that happens. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And uh, Greek scholars, and not even and sometimes not even evangelical scholars, just uh, scholars reading and commenting on the meaning of these Greek words, have said that this is a very unusual construction in Greek. Believes in Him, pistuo plus ace. Pistuo means believing, the one believing. Ace is into, ordinarily, into him. It's almost like we're, we're believing, almost like entrusting ourselves into Christ, or putting ourselves into him. And, and this idea of pistuo, the Greek verb for trust, does have, when it's related to persons, it has to do with an idea, idea of personal reliance on, dependence on a person, placing confidence in a person. It's not just intellectual belief. In fact, I don't know if you remember, about three years ago, I was in Oxford, England. Some of you were in the class, then, and I had opportunity to meet with um, um, Peter Glare, who's the editor of the Little and Scott uh, Greek-English Lexicon, basically the uh, the the greatest living expert on the meaning of Greek words, and the greatest living expert uh, on uh, Greek lexicography, and uh, had opportunity to talk with him about a few things. I met with him two different summers there in Oxford, England. And uh, in the course of the conversation, I did ask him, what you know what about this sense of pistuo uh, in relationship uh, and it has to do, how to relate to uh, trust? And And he said, yes, it's trust. It is this idea of trust or dependence on or reliance on that's very clear in the sense of the word. Now, you can have pistuo that, I believe that something, and there is just intellectual acknowledgement, but, but, but belief in a person is, uh, is the idea of trust. So that whoever believes in him, that is whoever decides to rely on, depend on, place the confidence of one's self in this other person, should not perish, but have eternal life. So there's a lot of, Content, a lot of power in this. Whoever believes in him, in John three sixteen, it's a it's a very rich and full sense of trust in another person. I um I was trying to think of some analogies to that in human experience. When do you trust another person? Um, and uh, uh, I think if you're if you're going to a doctor for surgery, in a way you're saying. I've investigated, I've heard about your reputation, I I think you're a good doctor, I'll trust you to cut me open and do this or that. There's kind of a trust there, and you make a commitment to do that. Or when you uh, trust a lawyer for advice, and you follow the lawyer's advice, there's some degree of trust. But I think a better one, even, is the decision to get married. Because that means I've, I've gotten to know you, I understand who you are, and I'm going to trust you to be faithful to me for the rest of our life. There's there's a deep sense of personal commitment on the part of the wife to the husband or the husband to the wife. And that's that rich and full sense of believing that is trust in. And of course, Jesus is more trustworthy than any bride or bridegroom, isn't he? He's, he's, He's the one who will never leave us or forsake us, never fail us, never let us down. And once we become familiar with what the Bible says about who Jesus is, then we say, yes, that is one whom I can trust as my Savior. That's saving faith. Or uh, the Greek-English lexicon, Bauer, Denker, Arndt, Gingrich is the standard authoritative Greek-English dictionary or lexicon of the New Testament. Pistuo, meaning one has to do with trust, belief of facts, but meaning two with persons, to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence, to believe in, trust, with implication of total commitment to the one who is trusted. And that's Now, they're just taking the sense in the New Testament, but of course they're getting the sense of what that word meant in Greek literature ordinarily as well. And uh, that's the definition that they are giving. So there's the idea of trust. This also <clears throat> from other pictures in the Bible about what it means to come to faith in Christ, because it sometimes it's talked about believe in or trust in, but in other times, there are uh, kind of word pictures that are given about what it means to trust in Christ. So uh, John 1.11 says uh, he came to his own home or his own people, uh, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, John 1.12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive him is a, a synonym for believing in his name. Receiving him is a picture of, I suppose, welcoming him into your home or welcoming him into your life. Jesus is coming. Do you receive him? Do you welcome him um, into sort of all of who you are? Do you receive him as as a person? Again, that's a personal interaction. It's not just fact. Um, Or uh, John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. There's another picture, coming to Jesus. That, as if you picture him being on earth as a teacher, coming to him would be come to him to trust him, follow him, depend on him, uh, obey him. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And we can see ourselves as coming to Jesus in faith um, as well. Or John seven thirty seven on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said. So you see those are sort of, Different ways of saying the same thing. Come to Jesus and drink. That is, drink of the gift of forgiveness of sins, and new life and salvation that he gives. You're taking it into yourself as a personal interaction, a personal commitment. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, come to me. Personal. And when I have uh, prayed with, Jesus, with people to uh, trust in Christ as Savior, I've said, picture Jesus now hearing you and saying to you these words, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're, you're weary with life. You're weary with feeling guilty for sin. You're weary with trying to make yourself right with God. You can't do it. Come to me, says Jesus, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. And again, it's you as a person coming to Jesus as a person. Hebrews 7.25, consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, the picture of a living Savior. Not just believing facts that happened 2,000 years ago, and you read about it, oh, that's fine, I see Jesus was a good teacher, he claimed to be God, he rose from the dead, okay, I believe that's true. It's not just that. There's a coming to him, there's a drawing near to God through him as a person. So that's saving faith. Um, do you want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, Art? The only son. Go
1: ahead. Yep. Try, is, start is, again. Sorry, again to get it on the table. Well, I'm just wondering if the John 3.16 that you have up there, is there in the original text the word begotten
0: son? There okay. is a word, in, in and it's hard to see here in Greek, Monogene, the uh, the the dictionary form monogenes. Mono means only, and there's a di- difference of opinion among scholars as to whether this gene comes from a word meaning beget, the father's role in human uh, birth of a child, That's... or does it mean of a kind, like uh, genus, our word genus or kind or type. Uh, uh, as in as in uh, biological classifications, you have a genus. And so is it begetting or is it only one of a kind? And the weight of opinion in the last 50 years has gone to, it means, only one of a kind. And so m- more modern translations have gone to only, but the King James Version, and I think the New American Standard still, and maybe the New King James, have only begotten.
1: Well, the reason I ask this is because God supposedly, or we know, that he made angels. Yep. How do you prove that Christ is not an angel, he's a human being, and one in which we are supposed to identify with? Yep. I, I find it difficult to identify with an angel, yep. and I'm certainly not classified as one by <laughs> my parents, but the other thing that comes about is We know that a begotten son was one that was a human being. Yeah. Okay. He was in utero. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, I feel better about that. I don't know whether
0: that's begotten there or not, but I like it. Okay. Okay. I'll give you my judgment on it. Um, My judgment is I don't think it means only begotten. I think it means only or one of a kind. And what influences me is a verse in Hebrews, I think Hebrews 11 where it says Abraham uh, did not spare his monogamous son, his only son Isaac. Now, Abraham had had a son before with Hagar, had a son Ishmael. And so Isaac wasn't his only begotten son, but he was his unique one-of-a-kind son, the only son of the promise. And so I think that... Um, let me see if I can find that verse in Hebrews. I think that that other example tips the balance to say a better translation is, yeah, it was Hebrews eleven seventeen. who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son or only begotten son. I think you have to say only, and that tips for me the balance in terms of saying this means only son. Um, just a little parenthesis, all right. Um, Way back in the 4th century, there was argument in the church over whether Jesus is fully God or not. And there was a group called the Arians, and they said, no, Jesus is created. He's the greatest created being, but he's not eternally God. And the reason they said he was created was these only begotten verses. And then the Nicene Creed in 325 came back and said, Jesus is... God of God light of light very God of very God begotten not made begotten before all ages of the father and so they said we're not sure what begotten means but it doesn't mean created and so the whole rest of the bible kind of came to the defense of the deity of christ and they weren't i think they they probably should have gone the route of thinking this means only not only begotten but they said even if it means only begotten it doesn't mean created it just means Oh, so what would it mean then? It means having a father-son relationship eternally. It t- talks about relationship and not origin of being. Does is that, is that answer what you were...
1: i am taking it unrevised.
0: Okay. <laughs> Long and short of it is I think only son is, is best um, and doesn't challenge the deity of Christ. I, just, I, have to, I have to disagree with you. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You have to disagree. Okay, that's fair, I mean, and I I just want to say, I want to say amen to art, I want to say I appreciate art, and I appreciate it when all of a sudden this is a a kind of a new thing coming up and you don't have opportunity to process the facts, say, you could just disagree and you're not persuaded yet, I want people to be able to do that, so, good, yeah, good. Okay, thank you. Okay, so, here we are on um, saving faith as a personal commitment. Uh, a trust, um, a dependence on, a reliance on Christ, and that is that is the nature of saving faith. Do you want to if, say anything more about that? Um, okay. Just one clarification here: faith is not opposed to knowledge. Rather, faith should be based on reliable knowledge about the person we are trusting. And faith should increase as our knowledge increases. Now, some of you have unmarried daughters. If your daughter came home and said, I met somebody tonight and I'm going to marry him, (laughs) you'd say, wait a minute, you don't know enough about him, right? I hope you'd say that. (laughs) Um Because before you trust a person deeply, you want to know more about that person. And so um, people need to know at least something about who Jesus is before they can trust him. And the more you know about Jesus, the more you trust him. In fact, I would suspect, for those of you in this class who have been believers five years, ten years, twenty years, sometimes thirty years or more, you trust him more today than you did when you first came to Saving Faith. I see, Jack, you're nodding your, nodding your head. Yes, you do. And Sherry, same. Yeah. You trust him more, because as we get to know more about him, we trust him more. I, well, I trust Margaret more than I did the day we were married, 38 years ago. <laughs> She's throwing me a kiss from the back. Uh, why? Because we've gotten to know each other more, and uh, we've Uh, So faith has increased as our knowledge increases, and so uh, there is this emphasis in the Bible in fact that faith is not this kind of irrational, irrational, irrational confidence that Chicago fans have in the Cubs winning the World Series. I've been in Chicago, lived in Chicago for 20 years. Uh, Oh well, just have faith; they'll win next year. Well, that's just that means wish hard even though you don't think it's true. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is based on reliable evidence, reliable knowledge. That is we have the evidence of God's word which is perfectly truthful. And when we read this, then we gain knowledge of who Jesus is and we trust him more. So Romans 10:14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And we're talking about faith again. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You can't believe in somebody you don't know about. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What he means by hearing is either reading or having somebody read to you the Bible and hearing it explained. You get faith by hearing God's words come to you. Faith grows as our knowledge grows. That's why it's important to read the Bible every day, because as we read the Bible, our faith in God is renewed and refreshed and strengthened. Oh, Galatians 3.2, let me ask you only this, says Paul, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul came and preached the gospel, they understood it, and then faith accompanied their hearing. That was their response. Faith and repentance must come together. Now I'm going to talk about the other side of the coin repentance defined. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin and a renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Now, parallel to what we said about faith, repentance includes an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong, but also an emotional approval of the teachings of Scripture regarding sin. Yes, that's true. I realize I'm a sinner and I'm troubled by that. But third, not just being troubled or worried, there is a personal decision to turn from sin and seek forgiveness from God. And so there's, like that person, that's that's the other side of the coin of personal decision to trust in Christ. Um, So faith and repentance must come together. Repentance plus faith together equals conversion. And conversion is a single action of turning from sin in repentance and turning to Christ in salvation. I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to see there's nothing fragile in here. Okay, this is my sin that I'm clinging to as a non-Christian. And I love this sin, and I don't want to let it go. And Jesus is over there at the podium saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I say, I want to come, but this is holding me. And before I can come to Jesus in faith, I have to let go of that sin and come to trust Him. So it's a turning away from sin and turning to Christ. And so they're really two sides of the same action. Let's look at this. Isaiah fifty-five six to seven speaks this way: Seek the Lord while He may be found; call upon Him while He is near. That's this coming. That's pictured as coming to God in faith. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That's, re- that's repentance. Let him return to the Lord. That's faith. That he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There's the forgiveness from what? Forgiveness from what I just let go of back there. That's sin. And it would be foolish for me to say, please, Jesus, will you forgive me of this that I'm still holding on to tightly, and I love, and I won't let go. But thanks for forgiving me of what I just love. The Bible doesn't speak that way. Both repentance and God's pardon. I mentioned the text. Now, repentance includes a strong awareness that one has offended a holy God. It's not just, oh, my life is a mess and everything's going wrong for me. So I don't like my life anymore. And, oh, maybe there'll be a positive thinking solution for this or something repentance is rather an awareness that one has offended a holy god and there should be a healthy spiritual fear that is part of that repentance acts 2021 20, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward god and of faith in our lord jesus christ that repentance includes a turning toward god and really a sorrow and a desire to have God's forgiveness because one is in threat of eternal condemnation. It would be foolish not to tremble when you have that realization. And so here is that same Bauer-Denker-Arndt-Gingrich lexicon on metanoia, repentance, rather, the Greek word, repentance, a change of mind, because meta is change, noia, related to the word for mind, change of mind, But what kind of change of mind? Also with the nuance of remorse as regret for shortcomings and errors, with a focus on the need of change in view of responsibility to deity, repentance, turning about, conversion as a turning away. And then they quote in Greek Hebrews 6.1, turning away from dead works. So uh, uh, repentance from dead works is one of the foundational teachings of the faith, says Hebrews 6.1. It's a turning away. Remorse, focus on a need in change in view of responsibility to deity. And they're saying that in ancient Greek literature, even outside the New Testament, repentance had that sense, and it's the word that's used. Uh, and the Greek word uh, metanoeo, metano, oh, the verb, it has a similar meaning. Second Corinthians 7, 9-10, to 10, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas godly grief produces death. I'm sorry. Worldly grief produces... That's not typed... What? what is... 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to... There's a slip of the keyboard there, I think. Just hold on a minute. It's worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief. How did it say God? Well, look, that word's supposed to be worldly, right there. Sorry, false doctrine creeping into my PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, worldly. Okay, so it's it's a repentance that leads to salvation. Now. Um, uh, people can debate whether it's Paul talking about within the Christian life, repentance that leads to further growth in salvation for the Corinthians or actually their initial salvation. But in either case, the same thing is in view. That's what genuine repentance is. Some verses mention both repentance and faith as part of coming to salvation. So Acts 20:21 20, 21, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Hebrews 6.1, talking about the foundational, the beginning, the first, what you learn in Christianity 101, week one, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So repentance and faith are both named. Sometimes in the Bible, only faith is named. John 3.16, whoever believes in him. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10.9, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith and that's not of your own doing. Now my argument is, if we really understand what this faith is, it's faith that involves trusting Christ to forgive our sins. And if that is sincere, it's going to involve a decision to turn from sin and forsake them. So that even when it talks about faith, repentance is implied. It's all part of the same thing. But it's surprising that there are quite a few number quite a large number of verses in the New Testament that mention only repentance. They don't even mention faith. Because when they mention repentance they imply faith. Uh, Luke twenty-four, forty six to forty seven, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins so you repent doesn't mention faith but then your sins are forgiven should be proclaimed in his name to all nations or acts 2 37 to 38 audience at pentecost in Jerusalem they said when they heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and peter said to them repent and be baptized everyone now baptism would be then an outward sign of their inward faith but repent and be baptized faith, faith isn't even mentioned Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Only repentance mentioned. There are others. Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 5.31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And these are summaries of gospel preaching in the book of Acts. It just mentioned repentance. Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And here, Paul's not speaking to Jews in that case. He's speaking to Greek philosophers in Athens. And he, God commands all people everywhere, even you here in Athens, to repent. Uh, Romans two four. do not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And there are some examples from Jesus' encounters with people. For instance, the rich young ruler, Jesus says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven because his love of his possessions was the thing that was keeping him from trusting in Christ and he wouldn't wouldn't turn from them. Or Zacchaeus, it's interesting that uh, Jesus declared that salvation had come to him that day when Jesus heard that he had given half his goods to the poor and repaid fourfold anything he had chosen. That was kind of an evidence that he was sincerely repentant for the wrong he had done in robbing people. And then the woman at the well, Jesus didn't say, go sell all you have and give it to the poor, because that wasn't the particular sin that was uppermost in her life. It was keeping her from Christ. It was rather her adulterous relationship. And so he said to her, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. So there he was, again, putting his finger on the one element in her life that was the most prominent in need of a change of heart. Or um, uh, Jesus, with Nicodemus, he rebuked his rabbinic unbelief and pride in his own knowledge. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? You must be born again. So uh, both faith... Okay, so that's... So that's <clears throat> some verses mention faith and repentance. Some mention only faith. Some mention repentance. They go together. No, I want to stop there. Pammy. I believe today's
2: church, don't hear very much. church, you don't hear very much about repentance. Uh, you hear about believing in Jesus, but you don't hear very much about repentance. Yeah. And then the second comment I wanted to uh, make was... Um, Many of us who came to Christ as little children didn't have well we were of sin, we had sin, but then but um I know most of my sinful behavior came that that was more than just rebellion or or doing bad things as a little child came later as I was a believer yeah. and like King David, um, I mean, he, here he was, a man after God's own heart, yeah. and with Uriah and Bathsheba, <laughs> yeah. um, could you speak um, to that?
0: Well, um, uh, the, the next point on the outline is going to say, both faith and repentance continue through life. So, we should grow in our faith. It isn't just trust in Jesus once and forget about it, there's... and And I think that there should be, what does Jesus tell us to pray every day? Forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as we have forgiven uh, those who trespass against us. So it's a pattern. Just as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are to pray for forgiveness. And I do every day. uh, Right near the top of things I pray for on a list of things that I have in a notebook that I work through is, Lord, forgive my sins. And that's an ongoing forgiveness in terms of personal relationship. So it continues. But I think <clears throat> I think Pammy even with small children they have a sense of having done wrong. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But Good. I
1: hate
2: most of I just hate the fact that I messed up uh, in my younger years after I knew the living savior yeah. and I just think uh, you know, th- there are things I did 30 years ago that I know the Lord has forgiven me of. I know He's cast it as far as East is from the West, but occasionally I'll just say, I just want to remind you, Lord, I'm really sorry. I know <laughs> you've forgiven me. But, you know, I just uh, bat my head against a wall thinking, how could I have been yeah. so wicked Yeah.
0: in that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Pa- Patrick. No. Tim. No. What's. Brian. I Okay, I just talked to you a month ago up here, and then I'm just... Brian. Good morning. Um,
3: you touched a little bit on the fear of the Lord, and uh, I, without trying not to put too much words in your mouth, I want to make sure I got an understanding of what you're saying. Um, do you think or believe, then, that there should be uh, some alarm that a person is indeed feeling when they are confronted with the gospel, in, in particular, in repentance.
0: Yeah. Yes, I do. Okay.
3: It, it seems a little bit of what you were saying, too, in regard to repentance. It seems like the fear of the Lord uh, also seems to be not only something that perhaps a lot of churches avoid, but almost, um, I guess, just maybe in the circles I've been in, the Christian circles I've been in, it's almost uh, pushed away from. Like, yeah. if somebody's expressing any fear of God, it's, they're almost... Bombarded with, oh no no no, don't don't worry, God yeah. really loves you and and granted He loves, but there's yeah. another side of Him I think that gets yeah. neglected, and uh, I think the author's name is James White, uh, when he was visiting here last year, the year before, maybe I got the name wrong, but I had appreciate what he said uh, in the effect of, you know, in our zeal to see people come to Christ we have a tendency to skip over, yeah. uh, not just intellectually, <laughs> but, uh, the emotional and spiritual aspects yeah. of some of these steps, yeah. mainly repentance yeah. is what I think he was getting at.
0: Yeah, yeah, Brian, I, I agree with what you're saying. And that's one of the reasons I think that this particular lesson is really important because in the United States, um, there are many, many wonderful Christians, many wonderful churches, and I understand that. But I think there have been... Times where there's a cheap gospel that, that doesn't really ask people to come to grips with who Jesus is. He's, he's God. And he's holy and perfectly pure. And we can't come to him unless, unless, there's, unless there's forgiveness. But also, we can't come to him hoping just to go on loving our sin and staying in it and have any kind of commitment to him. It's, there's a turning; it has to happen. Yeah, and and if if we don't make that clear, then I think we're not explaining the gospel fully and accurately to people. And then and then maybe they say, okay, I agree. I'll let me pray a prayer. And then nothing happens in their life. And they are well, what happened? Well, it wasn't a, it wasn't an adequate gospel that they heard. Sandy,
4: there's a verse in the Book of Joel that I think God just sort of lodged in my heart decades ago, Joel two thirteen, and it's in the context of a call to repentance, and it says, "Rend your hearts and not your garments." Mm-hmm. And i when I bring that up uh, when I'm speaking or teaching, essentially what that says to me is that if we caught a glimpse of the unparalleled holiness of God and the, the devastating destructiveness of sin, we would be utterly heartbroken. And that I think at the core of repentance is actually just being heartbroken over our sin, just a sense of um, well, well, I think Pammy went a long way toward capturing that sense of, oh, God, yeah. how, how could I yeah. save me? Save yeah. me from myself. Yeah. Save me from my sin. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's, that's really... I'm going to read those verses, Sandy. Yet even now, declares the Lord, Joel 2.12, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, rend, tear, Tear your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Mm-hmm. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Who knows whether he will not return and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Yeah, good, good. Over here, Gene. My experience the
4: Billy Graham go, crusade. Go ahead. Uh, the Billy Graham crusade and some of the follow-up was a booklet that uh, talked about accepting Christ means that he's maybe in the vestibule of your house, Um, you need to continue to progress in sanctification to yield, to invite him into the rest of the house, room by room. Um, So that was sort of giving me a picture of uh, faith in Christ maybe as a, a point in time decision. Of course, it'll be a lifetime experience too. But the process of repentance is only just beginning as you yield. And so maybe if if you feel, could comment on that, and is that a useful way to think of it?
0: I'd have to think about that analogy, Gene, but, um, but you make a really important point, <clears throat> and that is, uh, this repentance or coming to Christ is not making my life better. It's not saying, well, I'll try for a day or two or a week, and maybe I'll be good enough. It's not that at all. It's simply a decision of the will to turn. And you know... We're complex people. People don't know even all the ways in which they've been disobeying God when they first come to Christ for salvation. There are certain things. A woman at the well, it's going to be her adultery. And the rich young ruler, it's going to be his love of riches. But with other people, it will be other things. So we don't know all those things. but, But I think that what comes to mind and what the Lord puts as prominent in our mind, we need to say, Lord, I am sorry. I give that up. I forsake that. And maybe he'll bring other things to mind, too. That's why I said last week, when I pray with people to trust in Christ as Savior, I say, where we come to this point in the prayer where it says, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins, I'm going to pause and be quiet. And whether you want to say it out loud or you just want to be in your own mind, the things that God brings to your mind, where you've done wrong against him, ask him specifically for forgiveness of those things. And I'll just wait a minute or two or three till you're done in that dealing with God. But there, I think there has to be... Confession that has specificity to it. Say, Lord, I am sorry, forgive me. I turn from that, I forsake it. That's not changing my life, because I want to guard that it's faith alone by which we're justified, but that faith has to include a sincere decision to forsake sin and turn from it. So, yep. um, You know, Hosea 7.14 also
1: talks about the fact that God longs to redeem us, Uh but...
0: Uh, We cry from, or we wail from our beds instead of cry from our heart. Hmm. Wow. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. (laughs) That's sadness because my life isn't going well. That's not repentance toward God because we've offended a holy God. Yeah. Don, thank you. Yeah. 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 Good. How am I doing on time? Okay. One more. Anything over here? Or anybody else? Any more? Want to interact on this? Okay, let's, let's just go on. Faith and repentance continue through life. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 12. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, love abide these three. The faith continues. Paul, Galatians 2, 20. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So there's ongoing faith. Beginning faith at the beginning, it just continues through life. And uh, Revelation 3.19, talking to a church in Laodicea, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. There is turning from or repentance of sin as God brings it to mind throughout our lives. Okay. Um, well, these are just some things to think about. Um, I'll just ask these. About, just, have, you come to the, trust, have you come to trust in Christ personally? Or are you still at the point of intellectual knowledge and emotional approval of the facts of salvation without having personally put your trust in Christ? And uh, I I expect most, maybe all of you here have personally put your trust in Christ, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you've just been coming and kind of listening and thinking. And here's opportunities just to talk to Jesus and remember that he hears you. He's present with you. And you say, Lord Jesus, I turn from that sin that I know about and I trust in you, I depend on you, to save me, forgive me. Um, Do you think it might be easier for young children than for adults to think of trust in Christ as trust in a real person who is alive today? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think it might be, because children have the idea of trusting in another person. Um... Have you ever truly repented of sin, or do you think you've been taught a watered-down gospel that did not include repentance? That's just a question to ask. That's come up in our time. Do you think it's possible for someone genuinely to trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins without also sincerely repenting for sins? Well, I guess I've addressed that. I I think, no, I don't think it is. Um, And uh, Maybe people who differ on that, there are guests who differ on that, but I, I think they're viewed as... Two sides of the same action in the Bible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we once again, even though it may be for the thousandth time or more, we turn from, we repent from sins that, we have committed. Careless words, wrongful thoughts, desires in our hearts that we don't want there, but we know they're still there. We repent and we ask for your forgiveness and we turn to you, Lord, and we trust you again and again and again. We cast ourselves upon you for mercy. We are helpless. We cannot save ourselves. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can rely on you, depend on you, trust in you, commit ourselves to you, that you are the all-sufficient Savior, the one who will never fail us or forsake us. We thank you for your promise that whoever comes to you, you will never cast out. So we come to you believing your word, believing that you accept us. And we love you, Lord, as our Lord and our Savior. Amen.